Adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. Ralph Waldo Emerson. How true is that? Patience has been a key virtue in my life. In all aspects of my life. We could do a whole podcast just on patience. That's for another day, guys. I hope you're ready for part two with Gene Maxwell. I hope you listen to part one, first of all. Part two, we dig even deeper into ways to feed and nourish our body in order to improve our soul and spirit. Really, it's all tied together, right? So Gene, if you haven't listened to part one, She is a registered dietitian with over 10 years of experience, and she's also a close friend of ours. So that's why we wanted to have her on the podcast, not only because she's an expert, but because we enjoy talking to her. She's an awesome person. So, yeah, this will be with me and Brooke and Jean, and I had a lot of fun with this, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So today's episode is brought to you by Natural Rapport. Hey guys, they got a brand new website. I'm actually looking at it right now. It's awesome. And uh, the address is www.nattyrap.com. I love it. N-A-T-T-Y-R-A-P.com is the new website for Natural Rapport. I'll link it in the show notes. So look guys, Natural Rapport makes the highest quality pet essentials that you're going to find. Everything they make from grooming products to ear cleaner to uh, dog treats, whatever you get from them is going to be gentle, safe, and effective. Most of their treats are single ingredient only. It's all made in the USA, which is a huge plus. A lot of these dog treats and dog products that you buy at places like Walmart or Tractor Supply are freaking trash, man. And they come from countries that I would not even eat food from. I'm not going to give it to my to my pets. I mean, I love my I love my pets, which is why we use Natural Rapport, which is why we've brought them on board with the podcast. Because we believe in their products. So, if you got pets and you like treating them good, go buy some stuff from Natural Rapport because you're going to be 100% satisfied. Use the pro code 3 of 7 project. That's the number three of the number seven project, all caps, to get 10% off your natural rapport order. Go follow them on Instagram at natural rapport. That's R-A-P-P-O-R-T, natural rapport. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. Our other sponsor for today is one you have probably heard of, and I hope you've got some in your kit. It's Salty Britches, and Salty Britches is the best anti-chafing cream that I have found. I've used them all. I've been do I've been playing this game and trying to fight against chafing for my entire adult life and Salty Britches gets the job done which is why I use their products 
if you go out and run, hike, bike, surf, whatever it is, have a tube of this stuff in your kit. That way you can fix a hot spot or a chafing problem before it becomes an issue and ends your trip or makes you miserable. That's why it's important to have some of this in your bag. I take a tube of it every time I go out into the wilderness. I've got Salty Britches stashed everywhere. So, yeah, go follow them on Instagram at GetSaltyBritches.com and better yet, go get you some at www.GetSaltyBritches.com. Use the pro code 3, the number 3 of the number 7, for a 20% off your purchase with Salty Britches. Look, guys, this is a great product, but it is also ran by a great human being. Amy is a, a friend of mine. She cares about her products, and she cares about her customers, which is just takes this whole thing to the next level. So thank you, Salty Bridges, for supporting this episode of the 307 Podcast. This is episode number 50, guys. Pretty cool, right? It's been a ride. We got a long ways to go. We're going to keep pushing because you guys – Keep listening. Keep supporting. The reviews on iTunes are freaking off the charts, man. I'm so humbled. Thank you guys so much. Enjoy this episode. I'll be checking in with you guys soon. Here she is, Miss Jean Maxwell. Hey, guys. Oh, hey there, Jean Maxwell. Welcome back Hello. to the... Welcome back to the 307 podcast. Well, thank you. It's great to be back. Great to see you guys again. Well, your last episode was a tremendous hit. Um, I has thousands and thousands of downloads. Uh, so That's awesome. We're really happy to have you back on. I'm pumped, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, we, got, uh, we got the beautiful Brooke back on with us today, and uh, I know she wants to... Hold on. Your microphone... Try it now, baby. Hey, guys. Oh, you're up now. Thanks. I know Brooke. Uh, Brooke probably did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Brooke, nice try, though. <laughs> I know, right? Biscuit's got some questions that she wants to kick off with. If you're ready, Jean. Uh, Jean. That's great. I'm ready whenever you guys are. Let's do it. Sweet. Yeah. So we wanted to talk last time. Of course, we got cut off because we took too long. But um, I wanted to talk about certain foods that can help with certain things and why. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk first about sleep. And my mom, a lot of families struggle a lot with sleep. Is there anything diet related that we can do to help? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, so the principle behind this is that there are certain foods that produce the amino acid tryptophan and tryptophan converts into melatonin. So like you've heard that legend about people after they eat this big Thanksgiving dinner, everybody wants to take a nap. Well, that's because Turkey is a, a very uh, rich source of tryptophan. So, so the, that's kind of the principle. So that tryptophan is being converted to melatonin, which is your sleep hormone. Um, so short of that, um, cherries is actually one of those and cherries actually contain melatonin already instead of the tryptophan. So you don't even have to convert it over to melatonin. Cherries, like, mm -hmm. what, like what kind of cherries? Does it matter? Any kind of cherries, Any um, just cherries. like your standard, you know, dark red cherries. Yeah, dude, I had no idea. So mm -hmm. with something like that, 
eat a handful of cherries like before bed or just make them a regular part of your diet? How would you make um, that? I mean, either one. I mean, it's not like if you eat cherries during the day, you're going to go to sleep, right? you know, because your, your brain, your, your pineal gland knows when to produce melatonin. So you're not going to just randomly start producing it when the sun's out and it's, you know, it works according to your circadian rhythms. So, um, but you can also do things like pistachios and walnuts. Those are good sources of tryptophan as well. And pecans. So like you said, just like a handful of those before you go to bed, maybe an hour, hour and a half or so before you're going to lie down. And that can help with that melatonin production. That's awesome. Doesn't cherries make you go to the bathroom too? You and your brother one time (laughs) at your mom's house ate too many raw cherries and just blew up the house and the bathroom. I think they have a lot of fiber, don't they, Jean? They do have a lot of fiber. I mean, if you eat a large bag of any kind of fruit, that's pretty much the result you're going to end up with. So, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, you don't need all that. Just a nice handful should do it. Got it. Got it. So And then you're not up all night because that defeats the whole point, doesn't it? Yeah, no kidding. That's a really good question, though, Biscuit. Thank you, Jean. I've heard about the cherries. I didn't know if it was true, but I've never heard about the walnuts, pistachios. I'll have to tell my mom. Um... This one's my favorite is what foods could we help or incorporate into our diet to help with mood? With mood. Okay, great question. So one of those kind of throws back to our discussion we were having last time about the serotonin production. You guys might remember how I was talking about how serotonin is produced in the gut, but we have to get it to the brain for it to have any function for us. So So feeding those gut bacteria is one way to do that to just to increase your production of serotonin. So the fermented foods, those pickled and kimchi and kombucha and all that good stuff. Um, So that would be one. Another one would be anything with magnesium. Magnesium is very strongly related to um, mood, particularly anxiety and depression. Uh, Studies have actually shown people that have anxiety and depression tend to have low magnesium levels. So any food with magnesium, which would be things like, um, again, your nuts, so walnuts, almonds, any of those kind of things. Um, Dark chocolate is an excellent source of magnesium as well, which is why chocolate makes you feel good. It's not just the sugar rush. It's actually the magnesium. You actually are getting that that little extra benefit. Um, so yeah, anything with magnesium and, and anything else with cocoa. So this could even be hot chocolate, but you would want to try to use the raw cacao powder as opposed to the more processed, you know, the Swiss miss in the packet kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so raw cacao is going to be a better source in that sense. And then uh, on that same note, then you would want to go more with the darker chocolates as opposed to the milk chocolate. Okay. More concentrated uh, source. And um, so you got those, you got your seeds, particularly pumpkin seeds are an excellent mood food and your leafy greens. And you're going to probably hear me say leafy greens 5 million times because really no matter what we're talking about, leafy greens are good for it. Name <laughs> because, some. Yeah. So they're a source of folate and folate is another nutrient involved with mood and neurotransmitter production. So, so all your leafy greens, uh, broccoli is a good one. And then your berries, particularly blueberries. That must, be why, that must be why I'm always in a good mood. <laughs> You've eaten all those good blueberries. I, I eat so many. That's my base of all my smoothies. It really is. Is frozen blueberries. And you know nice. What? Yeah, and, and they have lots of other good things about them, but the flavonoids in particular that are in blueberries are, are mood boosters. <laughs> that's why you were a butthole this morning. Hey. You didn't have your blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is PG. Oh you better my ease up. <laughs> Pumpkin seeds is awesome. Oh, what know. is the difference between a pumpkin seed and a pepita? It's the same thing. Nothing. Uh, English versus Spanish. I told you. Okay. Tell me. Good. Yep. 
You Same exact thing. You didn't need a nutritionist to tell you that. <laughs> well, I knew I, they look exactly the same, but every time I see them in the store, I'm like, dang, a pepita. What in the world is that? So, <laughs> We're not, just trying to confuse you, Chad. That's all. Yeah. All right, good. <laughs> what, what about... Um, and then the last thing with the mood foods would be also anything with omega-3s because, again, omega-3 fatty acids have a very strong role with the brain function in general. So, so um, the walnuts, again, would kind of come back to that flax seeds, hemp seeds, chia seeds, that kind of thing. And again, if you're eating fish, then salmon and tuna as well. Are great for omega-3 is good for mood. Yes, got to have those omega-3s. Absolutely. Awesome. This is awesome because I ate salmon yesterday and I ate tuna today. It didn't work. I'm freaking good to go, man. You're right as rain, aren't you? I'm going to eat my blueberry smoothie after this. I'm going to be good to go. You got to eat those mood foods to be able to put up with biscuit. Whatever. Don't don't even acknowledge him right now, Gene. What about Gene? What about eating foods um, for inflammation? What's some things we can even things we need to get out of our diet for inflammation? Um, well, with inflammation in general, I mean, again, the the plant foods are going to be your best bets. Um, again, leafy greens. See, I'm telling you, every single thing you ask me, there's going to be leafy greens in that answer because they're just so ubiquitous for for health reasons. Let me, um, so let me ask you real quick, sure. does, does like romaine, can you tell people that like iceberg lettuce is not a leafy green? Like, yeah, I mean, technically in, in the, in the most technical sense of it, it is. But if you look at the nutritional content compared to some of the darker lettuces or your darker greens, it's, it's a pretty poor source. It's mostly water. So when I say leafy greens, I'm talking about spinach, kale, collard greens, even romaine lettuce, um, your mescaline, you know, those, the spring mix or the field greens is how they're usually labeled. So anything that, that has a good, rich green color is going to be a better source than your kind of your sad pale iceberg lettuce. To me, it has no flavor. I just don't really understand why people like it, but, but Hey, you do, you just maybe mix that iceberg in with some baby spinach or something with a little bit more, nutritional value. Awesome. Sorry um, to interrupt. So, yeah. so leafy greens, um, a lot of your herbs and spices are really anti-inflammatory. Turmeric, for example, ginger are both great ones. So is uh, garlic, any of those, what are called allium. So anything with that garlic, onion, leek, anything in that family is, is very anti-inflammatory. Avocados are a great one. Omega-3s, again, circling back to those guys too. So your walnuts, your your fatty fish, if you're including fish in your diet, your flax seeds, that sort of thing. Uh, berries as well. And then pineapple is another one. Uh, the the bromelain that's in pineapple is a great anti-inflammatory mm. as well. I heard so, that. So again, if you're eating a pretty good, um, you know, colorful diet, you're you're pretty likely to get a good amount of those anti-inflammatory compounds in your in your diet. Gene, have you guys done, or uh, this may be a whole nother lane from, from kind of what you love and what you're passionate about, but have you done any research on the, um, on the CBD or the hemp stuff, uh, as, as it pertains to inflammation? Cause that seems like a, that's, that's the, that's a new, you know, big thing nowadays. Right. It's definitely becoming kind of more of a health trend. And and there's a lot of emerging research on it too, which is really interesting. I, I have kind of delved into that a little bit um, in terms of how does CBD work? You know, what are the mechanisms by which it, it does control inflammation? And there is pretty solid evidence at this point that it does have anti-inflammatory effects. 
you know, we have a whole system. We have an endocannabinoid system. So our body is already covered in receptors that are designed for cannabinoids. So CBD is just one of them. There are mm -hmm. several, um, some of which are legal in the state of Virginia, some of which are not. <laughs> but um, so, but CBD in particular is the one that has really shown to have those anti-inflammatory properties. So, um, so eating hemp seeds, I don't know how much you would actually be getting, you know, in terms of a dose, because I don't think it's, the CBD is extracted from the seed. So I don't think you would get enough concentration out of the hemp seeds to notice any effect in that regard. So I think that's more why you see the tinctures and the drops and the oils and the salves and that kind of thing, because it's more concentrated, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's been helpful for people with pain control, for example. And, and as we talked about last time, inflammation and pain are pretty much two parts of the same puzzle. So wherever there's pain, there's inflammation. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do you want to testify to how well, CBD I, helps you sleep. I mean, it's good. It's good to hear that there's some there's some actually legitimate research that's that's went into it. But because look, I'm so hesitant about fads. You know, I'm like, I, I guess I'm so standoffish when it comes to fads. I mean, and you should be. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I think. And so, I, you know, that's kind of why I was, and, and and so yeah, I've been using the CBD oil, the drops uh, of a night when I go to bed. You mean every night of a night when I go to bed? Okay, and uh, it and it seems to help me sleep. It, mm -hmm. It's like it seems to help me get to sleep and sleep deeper. Now, yeah. is that a placebo? I, no, I uh, CBD also does have anti-anxiety properties. That's another thing that it's been studied for, and that has been apparently uh, a common benefit from it. So yeah, yeah, no, that's not. A, I, don't, I wouldn't say that's a placebo effect at all. Yeah, and I guess one of the things that made me most, I, I guess, to a critic of CBD, even though I use it, I mean, I, I'm a user of it, but I'm, I guess I, I kind of, I'm like, all right, man, they're saying this stuff can help you sleep, can help you relax, can help you with pain, can help you with inflammation, can help you with hair I, growth. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, hold, like, no, what is, what is this actually for? Like it can't just be like a cure all, you know. Right. And, and I guess that's one of the things that I was kind of wondering about. But if there, if the research is 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 being done and there's credible evidence to to back up, I guess the the uses of it. I mean, that's cool. I I guess I should, I guess I should look into that. But I know <laughs> I won't. <laughs> I'm sure now there. I'm sure there are claims that are made that are unfounded. I mean, as with anything like this, these natural remedies, because they're unregulated, there's no, there's not a lot of uh, dictation in terms of what you can and cannot say, or the claims you can and can't make. So some of the things they're saying probably are not legitimate, or at least we have no evidence to prove that it's legitimate, but the anti-anxiety effects and the anti-inflammatory effects are, are pretty well researched at this point. Interesting. That's awesome. Good question, Boo. I wouldn't have thought to yeah, ask that. Yeah, great oh, question. Thank you. Um, back to, I only have one more for the what foods can help us, what should we incorporate. Um, a lot of our listeners are endurance athletes and just crazy running, lifting. Is there any foods that can help, you know, cardiovascular, blood flow, anything that an endurance athlete could use? The main food that comes to my mind because I've, I've recently been researching it is beets. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen any of this uh, research, but essentially beets 
have the ability to increase our nitric oxide production. And so nitric oxide, you know, it's not something you're meant to produce all day, every day. It's intended for periods of physical stress or physical endurance. So it delivers more oxygen to the red blood cells, which allows you to obviously oxygenate better, you know, when you're running or when you're doing anything for a long period of time. Um, so, so there's some really cool research on that. And I'm just anecdotally, I have started drinking beet juice before I go for runs. Now, now my runs and your runs chat are obviously very different. Um, I just do, you know, three, four mile runs, which for me is just to keep in shape for, for soccer and whatnot. But, but honestly, I have noticed that I don't fatigue as quickly. My knee doesn't hurt when normally my knee will start to bother me after a couple of miles. You know, I can run maybe a little bit faster. So again, completely anecdotal on my part, but I personally have noticed a difference. Now tell me in what form, like, are you juicing it yourself? Or are you buying it or is it? No, I just buy it. I mean, I don't own a juicer and I'm, I, I'm not particularly interested in juicing other than in this particular instance. So no, I just buy it in the bottle. I mean, it's not cheap, but the studies show you only need four ounces. Okay. So you can stretch it pretty well. Um, you know, and they actually showed that larger amounts of that wasn't particularly any different than drinking four ounces. So you don't need 16 or 32. Now, again, Chad, if you were running a very long endurance event, that might be a different story. I don't know. I haven't read any specific studies on prolonged, you know, um, endurance, but for something of a shorter duration of four ounces was shown to be plenty effective for up to, I think it was three hours of activity or something like that. We'll have to test that on one of your races when you, I love beet juice. Yeah, we used we have a juicer and we used to grow beets. Um, we always have, and we used to juice them. Ooh, it's strong though. I oh, it, it is. It, like it is. Uh, it's it a heady, like a heady flavor. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you really have to get used to it. I have never been one to even like beets, so mm-hmm. this is something that's new for me trying to sort of adapt to. But um, I, I usually mix my juice with the the ninja red. You know that. Yeah. Um, I mix it with that and that goes down a little bit better yeah. and then you're getting a little extra antioxidants. And I, I think that's always a good thing too. So, so that's kind of how you get past the flavor, but otherwise you just kind of throw it back and, Go. you know, suck it up for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, I don't, Chad's gotten better, but I'm the person that like, if something's nutritious or it's going to help me, especially if it's a supplement, if it tastes bad, I'll just deal with it. Like I'm right. not, I'm not going to be a child and be like, Oh, this is so gross, you know? And it's only four ounces. I mean, that's a half a cup. That's nothing. Right. You know, you, you can handle that. That's a couple of shots basically. So. Well, I remember when we used to do beet juice, if you would put some lemon in it, lemon juice, we did lemon and ginger that, that helped a lot. Yeah. To be, to, to, yeah, to kind of over mellow out that dirt flavor. So beet juice, four ounces, preferably you could incorporate it into your diet or you can do it before, right before your workouts. Right. I mean, certainly you can eat beets. I mean, they have lots of other health benefits. I mean, just that rich red purple color has its own set of antioxidants, you know, that are good for you anyway. But this, the research recommends, I think it was 70, 60 to 75 minutes prior to your activity was when you would drink that juice. So it needs a little bit of time to activate that nitric oxide production. Okay. And quick question. I've seen the beet juice. I see a lot of stuff like that is into a powder form. Do you lose a lot of nutrients um, when it's put into a powder form? That's tricky because it really depends on the process by which the beets are dehydrated. So if they're dehydrated at a very high heat, for example, 
then yes, you are looking at a potential loss of nutrients. So it is really, I was actually having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, we were debating whether it was worth your money to buy that super beet. I think it was called the super beet powder, or is it more effective to just do the, the juice? Um, so it's kind of hard to say because of course the companies are going to claim that it's got so much milligrams or whatever of, of the, the beet compound in it. But I just, it's hard to say, you yeah. know? So I think you would really have to look into what their methods were in terms of dehydration, um, you know, and how that was actually done to, to figure it out. But there's probably no way to really know unless you yourself were able to test the nutritional content of the beets of the powder. I mean, for me, I think it's just as easy to drink the juice. So, I mean, I'm just sticking with that for now, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some benefit in the powder. I just don't know if it's equivalent. Okay. Nothing's cool. going to beat the real deal, man. No. Taking That's a right. real dirt covered beet and rinsing oh. it off and <laughs> putting or, it in a juicer. Or buying cold pressed juice from the store Correct. is yeah. fine too. Yeah. Dude, I mean, I don't even know of any stores around here sell cold pressed no, juice. No, we're in North Georgia. People, yeah. people I was able to find it in Kroger. I mean, I didn't have to go anywhere crazy for it. Your you know, Kroger's different than our Kroger. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Last, um, one of the last questions before Chad gets on his um, tangent. What's your opinion on intermittent fasting, Jean? So intermittent fasting, this is another one of these new kind of trend things that you're hearing about people doing. Um, and again, the research is still kind of emerging just like with, with any new diet trend. Um, from what I've read, there are benefits for certain people. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with how you, how your metabolism, metabolism naturally is. Um, but it can be effective for weight loss, you know, especially for people who aren't good with the intuitive eating or mindful eating, you know, people who just kind of snack all day long and don't listen to their hunger cues, you know, things like that. So I think it can be good for, for improving that mindfulness aspect of eating. Um, but from what I've read so far, there isn't a significant difference between intermittent fasting and just classic calorie restriction, because that's what intermittent fasting is, you know, fundamentally is decreasing the amount of time during which you eat. Therefore, you're reducing your calorie intake. It isn't intended for you to eat as much as you can possibly pack into eight hours or however many hours a day you're doing it. So it really does require that again, that intuitive sort of, you know, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? You, you have to resist that urge to pack in as many calories as you can during that period. So I think it has potential to be misused in that way that people may not be understanding that you're still supposed to eat when you're hungry. It's just, you do it from 10 to four or 10 to six or, you know, whatever time it may be. I did also actually see a recent study that was suggesting that intermittent fasting is actually more effective if done in the evening. I know most people who do, who do IF, you know, they start eating at noon or something like that, but actually your metabolism is faster in the morning. So they actually suggest that you, you eat breakfast and then maybe you skip dinner instead. So you kind of shift your window to an earlier, to the earlier part of the day. So, so that's the extent of my knowledge on that, honestly. And, and I don't have an issue with IF. I mean, again, it's, I don't think it's suitable for everybody. You know, um, for example, people that may be prone to, to low blood sugar, hypoglycemia may not be able to withstand that period of time of not eating from four in the evening to eight or, you know, seven or eight o'clock the next day. So mm -hmm. you have to consider your own personal self as well. But I mean, I, I see no harm in it as long as they're getting the correct nutrients and, you know, 
meeting their needs throughout the day. Speaking of harm, what are some other, are there any other fad diets? I know I've heard you talk about gluten-free, that if it's not done properly or people get over the top and they don't know what they're doing, it can be detrimental. Is there anything that comes to mind? Um, Well, since you mentioned the gluten-free, I mean, I'll just touch on that briefly. I mean, I don't see any harm in a gluten-free diet. I mean, some people obviously have to follow one and that's fine. But at the same time, I, I know of a lot of people who do it, who don't necessarily have to do it, do you too. know, um, and, and there's no nutrition yeah. in gluten. There's no nutrient that you're missing if you avoid wheat products, as long as you get those nutrients from other foods. You know, most, most wheat products are fortified anyway with B vitamins, iron, that sort of thing. So if you're getting those food, those nutrients from other foods, you're fine without gluten, you know? So I, I don't think there's any detriment in that. Um, so, so yeah, gluten-free, not, not such a big deal. How about, how about the carnivore diet? Oh my gosh. <laughs> we I, knew, I knew that would probably come up. That um, even sounds I ridiculous mean, to me. Baby, be nice. It's pretty ridiculous. I'm going to just put it out there. Um, it's, I, it's keto, isn't it? That's what, that's why they're losing well, weight. Not exactly. Because at least on the keto diet, you're still encouraged to eat non-starchy vegetables. You know, keto comes with its own set of things that because, you know, any diet where you're eliminating an entire macronutrient, okay, so in the case of keto, it's essentially no carb, excuse me, no carbohydrate, that comes with its own set of consequences, because number one, carbohydrates are your body's primary fuel source, you know, and, and fats and proteins, those are kind of your secondary and your tertiary fuel sources, they're not intended to be the first line of defense, carbohydrates are. So, you know, I don't really, I, I have people who go on keto to lose weight, which it absolutely works. You were, you will lose weight on keto, but again, it's calorie restriction. It's not because fat is some sort of magical, you know, they say like, oh, fat burns fat. That's not really exactly how it works. Most people don't even actually get into ketogenesis because it's a defense mechanism. You're biologically not designed to go into ketogenesis unless you're in starvation mode. Okay. So you can't feed your body with anything and then expect it to kick into ketogenesis just because fats are that fuel source. So, so it's biologically inaccurate for people to use this as a reason. So, so I don't really have an issue with, with very short term keto, maybe a month or two, if you really need to get a lot of weight off, as long as you're monitored, as long as you're taking the vitamins to make sure you're getting those nutrients and then you transition off of it in a safe way, which essentially means you have to gradually reintroduce carbs so that you don't go into sort of this metabolic shock, you know? Well, and like um, you said before, starving yourself of carbohydrates, your gut bacteria doesn't have anything to work with that correct, whole time you're on keto. Correct. So that is absolutely, if, if keto were to be done long-term, which we don't really have a lot of studies on it yet, because keto is such a new fad diet. We have no idea what effect it's going to have in 10 and 20 years on, on these people. Mm-hmm. So time will tell in that, but you know, just biologically speaking, I can guarantee there would be a detrimental effect on the gut microbiome for sure. Yeah. No, there's not enough fiber to even feed them with. And same with the carnivore diet. You know, you're lacking, you know, the, the carnivore diet, I mean, they, they essentially preach that plants should be used medicinally and not nutritionally. So essentially you use herbs and things when you're sick, but you don't eat plants on any regular basis. You know, there's all this nonsense about anti-nutrients. Like I'm not going to really get into it because I might get mad, but 
Um, <laughs> you know, that's their premise is that, you know, vegetables and things have these, have these anti-nutrients, which isn't false because these things do exist, phytates and oxalates, but they're completely workable and there's ways to avoid them from being problematic for you. So it's, it's honestly, it's just this kind of brainwashed mentality of this one doctor who took it and ran with it. And, and there are people who believe it and, and, you know, we're going to just have to let that sort itself out, you know? Yeah. Look, hopefully that's one that will go away very soon. I'm hoping. How about this? How about you practice moderation in your diet? What a concept. Uh, huh? And, and, and even more so, how about you look at a human being's teeth? I can look at a human being's teeth and compare it to other teeth. A, a dog. Well, yeah, well, uh, yeah, it's it's like it, it's fairly obvious what a human being is designed to eat. Right. Yeah, we don't have the same set of teeth as a dog. Yeah. Right. We don't right? have those huge canines, you know, like a lion or a dog has. I mean, we are not meant to rip meat with our mouths. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's so that's a good point, Chad. And and it's funny because I've had people try to use that comparison to the opposite argument, you know, well, we have canine teeth. Yeah, but they're tiny. Yep. You know, they're the same size as our other teeth. So it's, it's ridiculous to even, to even use that as an an argument. So I'm glad you brought that up. Well, let's, let's break into that. Let's talk about the three of us and our diets and why we eat the way we do. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good, that's a good way. So for me personally, I, I, again, I'm very anti-fad. I'm very anti-label on diet. Um, You know, me personally, my, the basis, the foundation of my diet is moderation. Really all the way around. It's like, you know, yes, I eat meat, but I probably, you know, a lot of days, some days I won't eat any meat. Some days I'll just eat it once a day. Uh, There are days I might eat it twice a day. Um... It's like if I want to eat some ice cream, I'm gonna eat some dang ice cream, but I don't. I'm not gonna eat it every night, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like the, that's the foundation of my diet when I am trying to to perform, you know, to feel good is essentially moderation. Um, and the the reasoning behind me being anti-label on my diet is because there's a lot of self righteousness tied to people that put a label on the way they eat. A, a lot of them are cults. Well, it's yeah. just a lot of self-righteousness tied I to that. I agree. And, and, and that is one thing that, I mean, does it really aggravate me? It doesn't keep me, it doesn't keep me up at night, but like, I don't want to be a part of that. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I, I just, so, so that's my take on it. What about you, Biscuit? Well, that didn't tell us anything about what you eat or what you... Oh, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty much open to eating anything. You do. I mean, well, and I, I, can I eat s- pasta, I eat bread, I eat meat, I eat yeah, fresh greens. Everything I mean, is homemade. Yeah, every, I try to, everything I eat. I try yeah. to obviously it's a it's I try to try for it to be a whole food, yep. uh, unprocessed. You know, I, that's all just that's freaking common sense to me. You would think so. That is just so well, common sense and, to me. And let me, I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah, and let me. Our I do all the grocery shopping and cooking. This sucker can't. He can toast bread and make scrambled eggs. But everything in our kitchen, um, no sugary drinks, nothing processed. 
period. Like you won't find anything in our house that has high fructose corn syrup or, you know, just artificial things. Um, if something's sweet, it's going to be cane sugar. We eat organic, um, it, and le- if it's dirty, doesn't for sure. But then otherwise, it just depends on the quality of the produce. And our our diet, the basis of our diet is really veggies. We eat so, every meal is like six or seven vegetables sauteed, maybe rice, and then some kind of lean meat for you. And then I usually do tofu or egg. Um, I'm not a, I don't eat a lot of meat at all. I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say that's a really good good point i'd say the foundation or the base of all of our meals is some sort of vegetable i learned a new word last time we talked to to gene cruciferous vegetable <laughs> what is it gene? and i won that million dollar word Heck yeah man <laughs> we do a lot of cauliflower a lot of oh broccoli yeah all that cabbage stuff. So. Um, brussels sprouts one of those four is we eat every day at least yeah and a, yeah. another thing about the way I eat too is I eat when I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. I like I simply listen to my body and you know if I wake up in the morning and I'm not hungry, I might not eat till one o'clock. But I'm sorry, I'm not part of your intermittent fasting clan. Uh, <laughs> oh I, I just didn't eat because I wasn't hungry. You right. Know? <laughs> it's like it, I I mean, and maybe that's part of being an athlete and 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 you you're the same way, Gene. Very physically active. Uh, the fit, the more physically active you are, the more you push your body, the more in tune with your body you are. So it makes no sense to me to to have to count anything or, or worry about what I'm eating. When I'm putting something in my mouth, it's a good whole food, and it's because I'm hungry. Well, let me say one thing, and then we'll let Jean tell her diet. But I, you're lucky because my most of my family is overweight, and my little 23andMe genetic test said I'm predisposed to be overweight, and I totally believe it because I crave so much junk food, and I have to use, I mean, it's every meal. I have to use self-control to not overeat and to not eat crap. Like, if I could do it and not get fat, I would. But it's just a difference in you. Like, you don't struggle with that, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, most of my family members are pretty overweight too. I mean, other than other than little brother and kind of this generation, but um, you know, I I don't know. I I mean, I also train for four to six hours a day. Yeah, that doesn't count. You know, you you, you get you get a I'd say an hour a day in. Yep. I'm four to six hours a day, so maybe that plays into it too. Yeah. Probably you, you guys are probably metabolically quite different, you know, in that sense. But, and and I think that definitely you guys are on kind of both ends of the spectrum. Like Chad, you're very intuitive with your eating. You don't snack, you don't eat if you're not hungry. Maybe you don't crave stuff as much, you know, but like you said, if you do, you eat it. And I think that's a really healthy attitude, you know, because I think a lot of people have this this um, idea that, oh, you know, I can't give into this and I can't have this and I can't have that. And I don't like that guilt association. I don't like people, uh, you know, attaching that sort of thing to food. You know, I think that creates unhealthy behaviors and I think it creates an unhealthy relationship with food. So obviously, you know, we should try to be mindful of our sugar intake and, you know, and those things, the processed food intake, but it's not the end of the world. If you eat a handful of chips or a bowl of ice cream, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. You know, I have to talk my, some of my patients down like this a lot because they get this 
this idea of they did something wrong or they feel bad or they think, oh, I shouldn't have this, you know? So I really try to get them to, to separate those things and not have those emotional connections to food. You know, they shouldn't be, but, but it is, I guess it's a human tendency. So Mm -hmm. it can be hard for sure. Well, what about you, Jean? Obviously you're, you're the expert. Um, so what, how, how do you eat and what's led you to, to that, that way of life? Well, it's, you know, my, my diet has evolved quite a lot over the years. Um, I've been vegetarian a good part of my life. I mean, on and off, even as a child, meat was not a, a big thing for me. I didn't like it. I didn't really care for the texture or the taste of it. It was just, I just didn't like it um, with a few exceptions, I guess. So, so it sort of progressed naturally into me eating a more vegan pattern. Although like you, I don't like these labels. I don't like because, because vegan comes with its own set of connotations. I I prefer to say more plant-based because vegan diets aren't necessarily, um, well-rounded. They're not necessarily balanced. You know, you can eat vegan because vegan is a philosophy. It's, you know, I don't eat animal products. So just because you don't eat animal products, doesn't mean you eat plenty of vegetables and fruits and healthy plant foods. So, so they're, to me, they're not the same. Okay. You so just hit just the nail on that. the head. You just hit the nail on the head. That, that's yeah. the whole thing about <laughs> so, the veganism. It's a philosophy. Exactly. Yeah. So my, my way of eating is much more of the plant-based persuasion. So like you guys, the foundation of my diet is vegetables. You know, that is my main priority is to eat vegetables. And then I eat fruits. I eat beans. Um, I eat a lot of tofu, tempeh. Sometimes I'll eat some seitan, which is a, a gluten-based protein. Um, I do have quinoa. I love quinoa. I eat a lot of that. Sometimes rice. I'm not as, I just don't like rice as much. I don't know. To me, I don't like food that has no flavor. To me, rice has no flavor. You <laughs> so haven't I'm tried just, Brooks coconut rice yet. Oh, see now that I'd be into. Um, so I like rice as like a vessel, you know, like I'm eating Indian food or, or Japanese food. I like rice for a sauce absorber. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much all it's good for as far as I'm concerned, but I love pasta. You know, I grew up in Italy, so I've always had a taste for pasta and, and, and also living in Europe, you sort of start realizing the importance of eating fresher food and you start appreciating things that are caught or grown or manufactured, you know, locally, as opposed to food that comes from somewhere else. So, so that really kind of opened my eyes to trying to eat more local food, obviously trying to grow my own food as much as possible you know, so, so that's more or less, you know, on a day to day, I really try to prioritize those, the, the legumes, the whole grains, the nuts, the vegetables, the fruits, the healthy fats, you know, I'm always eating avocados, or I have a huge bag of walnuts in my office that I'll snack on, you know, dried fruits, I have dates in here, you know, things like that. So, so that's, you know, the majority of my diet. And then because I'm a human being, I also like treats, you know, so I will have some dark chocolate or I'll have some non-dairy ice cream. Um, and it's interesting with the dairy thing, because I, as a vegetarian, as a younger vegetarian, I relied very, very heavily on dairy products. You know, cheese became kind of a protein staple for me. And so I ate a lot of it and I suffered (laughs) very much from a digestive standpoint. Um, I was not eating fiber, really, you know, when you're 19, and you're in college, I mean, that's just not your priority is to eat healthy, it's to just eat whatever tastes good and gets you through the day. And then you just kind of go on. So but but I started paying the price for that. And so as I've was able to cut out dairy, eventually, I finally got to a point where I realized it was an issue for me. And, 
I haven't really had any digestive issues since. So, and that was about, I don't know, five or six years ago, give or take. And if somebody has a food sensitivity to not necessarily an allergy, a food sensitivity to dairy or wheat or something like that, how can that manifest other, is it other than your gut? Can it manifest other places? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and that can also lead to inflammation, by the way. I mean, repeated exposure to a food that you are sensitive to can definitely create an inflammatory response. So um, this can manifest in a lot of ways. I mean, for, I would say for the majority of the time, it's a gut response. But some people, if there's a very low key inflammatory response, you may not even notice it may be your joints hurt, or you might get headaches you know, just any kind of systemic thing like that. And then when you eliminate it from the diet, that symptom goes away. So that's usually why we do elimination diets with these people when we're trying to determine food sensitivities, because it may not be an obvious reaction. They may not even feel anything. It may be a completely unconnected or seemingly unconnected symptom, but when you remove certain foods, those symptoms resolve. So that's typically how you identify food sensitivities. Uh, typically the lab tests are not as accurate with that. So usually you just take it away and see if they feel better kind of thing. Okay. Um, so do you, are, are you more intuitive, Gene? Do you, is that, do you eat more like me or are you more of a planner kind of like Brooke? Um, a little bit of both. Um, Part of this is that I have hypoglycemia and I have from since I was a child, it's always been an issue for me. So I have to be mindful of eating every so often, even if I'm not necessarily hungry. Um, because if I don't, and actually this happened to me at the gym the other day, I was doing a pretty heavy lift session with, with Jessica, my wonderful trainer. And when I was done, I started to feel really dizzy and I realized that I didn't have a lot of carbs in my lunch. And then I didn't have a snack before I went because I wasn't hungry. I'd had a lot of protein in my meal. So I just wasn't hungry. So I didn't eat anything. So when I got done with that workout, that's when I kind of hit the wall and realized, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that. So, so I can only be so intuitive, but typically I get hungry about every three to four hours anyway. So I think my body has kind of developed this regulation system that it tells me when I need to eat something. So so both, but I used to look at the clock and be like, Oh, it's 10 o'clock. It's time to eat something. And I would kind of just do it. But, but now my body's pretty much gotten to the point where that happens. You know, I'm hungry at certain times of the day anyway. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so I'm mostly pretty intuitive. I don't, I don't really snack a whole lot. You know, um, I don't feel well if I eat when I'm not hungry sometimes. So that also sort of helps regulate that urge. But yeah, so for the most part, I mean, I, I eat when I'm hungry and I don't eat when I'm not. I, I don't eat real late at night because I don't I don't like how I feel if I eat and then go lie down and go to sleep. Yep. So yeah, so I'd say I'm pretty intuitive for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, y'all are lucky. Come. But I wake up hungry. So at like clockwork, it's it, if it's 630 in the morning or if it's nine o'clock and I happen to sleep in, but I roll out of bed, I'm ready to eat. Really? So I think, yeah, so I don't know if my metabolism just does its thing. So by the time I wake up, I'm it's all gone, but yeah, I, I wake up hungry almost every day. When do you There's, normally stop eating in the evening? What time? Um, I mean, I don't like, I don't really make a rule specifically, you know, I'm not one of those people who, who I don't eat after eight or whatever. Um, but I try to have dinner on the table by like seven. So maybe by seven 30, I'm done eating maybe eight o'clock if we're really pushing it. 
And then I'm in bed by 10, 30, 11. So, so yeah. So I try to, you know, maybe a couple hours before I lie down. And again, that's just because I don't like going to sleep when I'm full. I just, just personally don't like how it feels. Mm -hmm. That's very similar to what we do. We're usually about seven o'clock, six to seven o'clock dinner. Oh, oh, it's crazy how we're, we're, here's three healthy people that, that have some similar opinions about diet. Oh, and man. similar habits. Yeah. How about oh, that? It's common sense. <laughs> this is common Indeed. sense. Well, but but Chad, I want to I want to circle back to a point you made about moderation because I, I really do think that's important. I'm I'm not a fan of extremism in in many, not just in the diet sense, but in many senses. I don't think extremism is healthy in a lot of ways, but when it comes to diet, because you know, people who don't care at all about what they eat are some of the unhealthiest people, but people who also obsess and restrict and overly focus on what they do or don't eat, that's also unhealthy. But I mean, there's, there are eating disorders that are associated with that type of behavior. It's called orthorexia, where you just, you just decide arbitrarily, this is healthy, this is not healthy. And you end up narrowing and narrowing until you're left with this very small window of foods that you find acceptable, you know, and, and that's just not healthy either. So my philosophy is kind of 80-20. You know, 80% of the time you eat those good, nutritious plant foods that your body wants. And then the other 20% is kind of at your discretion. You do what you want with that. And I think I have no science to back that up. (laughs) That's just my personal uh, opinion about it. But I think it's a good philosophy to live by. I think it's, it's a good way to find balance and to, you know, make sure you get what you need, but you're not missing out on some of the more uh, hedonistic yeah. Things. And that, and that's so manageable. Yep. And, and I would say, right. That, that's it's realistic. Yeah. That's probably spot on with where I am. It's probably mm-hmm. about 80, 20. I mean, that's a manageable, uh, that's, that's manageable. You can still yeah. go to restaurants and right. You, know, you can have a glass of wine or have a beer. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to act like I don't drink alcohol. I do, Yeah, <laughs> but I don't drink six at a time. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. That's it. it's, yeah. it's so much about finding that balance in, in so many aspects of your life, but particularly with your nutrition. And like you said, it's, it's sustainable, it's manageable and it's realistic, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's really important for long-term benefits. You have to be able to sustain whatever habit you're doing. So mm-hmm. if you're not being moderate about it, you're a lot less likely to be able to sustain it for a long period of time. And that's what I want. I want longevity, yeah. you know, I want longevity as an athlete, as an ultra runner, um, you know, not not only do I want longevity as far as my lifespan and, and the t- amount of time that I can feel good and be active, but you know, even as an athlete, I want to be. You know, I, I don't have to win every single race. Like, could I really, really sh- be strict with my diet and maybe be a notch over, you know, above what I am right now? Yeah, I could probably, I could probably do that, but I'd be freaking miserable. There's right. no longevity. What good is that? Right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So like if, if I can, if right now, if I can win one out of every three races I run and I can win one out of every five races I, I run when I'm 53 years old and that's what I want, man, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I'm looking for. So I guess maybe that's why moderation is so important to me. And, you know, I wanted to dig in. I, I, I would really like to challenge somebody at some point on the, on the philosophy part of the of the vegan diet um and i don't think that's a conversation for us because obviously you know the reason you eat the way you eat is because you found throughout a lifetime uh, that that's what makes you feel good 
Um, and, and it, you know, I, I, you know, and, and so I, I don't really think that's a conversation to have with Gene because I think. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do subscribe somewhat to the philosophy of veganism in the, in that sense. So I won't say that I don't, but, um, yeah, I think that could be a whole nother discussion for a whole nother time. And maybe with a person who's more, um, militant. Yes. You're <laughs> I'm not one of them. You're, I am not, I am not that person. You have friends though, that are that person. I do. I yeah. do. And I'm happy to, you know, refer you to some of them, but, um, yeah, I, I am much more, um, you know, interested in the, because like you said, I found out what works for me. This is how I feel good. So this is what I'm doing. And I'm not here to tell you everybody should be vegan or whatever. That's not, I don't feel that that's, my place oh there's moderation again thank you gene oh my gosh uh, i well, appreciate that i mean in an, in an ideal world yes maybe but we, we don't live in an ideal world and so that's you know some people just i don't think could do it well i am obsessed with animals like all animals and i have mm, an issue with empathy for animals like i i swear it it pains me more to see animals suffering than people as really oh, wrong. Me too. Yeah. I, I mean, I see all animals the same <clears throat> as far as I don't see a cow or a dog as separate things. You know, I think people compartmentalize their domestic animals. They do separate them from farm. And I just don't, I don't see it like that. I'm like you, Brooke. I, I really empathize with that. And I don't, I don't need animals to, I don't need meat from animals to survive. So I don't, see any purpose of me contributing to that in any way it, or something that's not even necessary for me or to thrive you know? because you're an athlete right. and you right. don't eat meat or dairy um, hey look not dead look at me <laughs> i know but but i think that that takes a lot of work on your part a lot it of does. a lot of yeah and of course you're a nutritionist but if anyone wanted to become vegan or plant-based i mean they can't just you can't just survive off of fruit and veggies. You have to nuts, seeds, like you said, legumes, right. protein. You have to, again, you've got to balance that diet. There are nutrients that you cannot get from a vegan diet, no matter what you're eating. So you do need to do your research and look into the, you know, supplementation. I mean, I, I can talk about that if you guys want to, but, um, you know, so a lot of people just go vegan and they don't care about the health app. And so I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't be vegan because you love animals. I'm saying don't only be vegan because you love animals. You yes. need to have that other piece of the puzzle, which is that nutritional adequacy, making sure that you're not suffering at the expense of animals not suffering. To me, right. that makes no sense. Right, right. And in a way that we kind of, kind of a side note, um, when we buy meat, unless I'm just lazy and we buy it from Kroger, we buy it local. And we've seen like Carlton Farms, we've seen their farm. Like their cows are happy. You know, yeah, and yeah. I, I'm sure that they suffer and go through some stress, like when they're slaughtered. But well, quite, quite. I mean, quite frankly, the 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 most the the most humane way to, if you're a meat eater, to harvest meat is to go out and harvest it yourself and go through the whole process. From if top you're a to good bottom. shot, if not, well, yeah. some people can't, and they're going to make a deer or something well, suffer. Yeah, terribly. I mean, it's, it's a, that's a discipline to to be able to do that. Yeah, you know, but essentially that that is the the most humane, the most natural yeah. way if you want to eat meat to, the, to harvest meat. The point meat, you know? is, if you do a little research, if you have to eat meat and you want to do a little research or buy local and see how the animals are raised, what's their environment? What is their quality of life, you know, before they get on your plate? And I think, yeah. I think that that's an admirable thing to do if you, you know, are not ready to work 
at, at being plant-based. Right. Yeah. Because I think it at least, it starts the, it starts the wheels turning and at least initiates that conscious behavior mm-hmm. of thinking about what you're eating and where your food comes from, you know? So even if you put the ethics of it aside, it's that, it's that conscious process of tracing back to the origin of, of what your, where your food comes oh, from. Yeah. Whether, why, why would you not want to do that? I, mean, I know, why, you know people, like, can't, people can't handle it. Well, like, yeah, I guess, people, I guess so. Imagine if when you went to a restaurant or a grocery store, if there was a picture of like, or a short 20 minute or 20 second video of like life and death of your food and how it got slaughtered and like the moments, like people would not eat it. No, I mean, yeah, you're well, right. I mean, I I would actually love that. Um, that yeah, that would be weird. I think that would be cool to be able what? to see to see if you could see that like what you were eating, like like I don't know. That would be that's just like what we're talking about going back to the farm and, that we buy meat from, and I you guess. see, yeah, you see. But the, you know the the thing of it is, is that awareness is uncomfortable, and cognitive dissonance is much more comfortable. Yes. You know, separating yourself from an issue and just not thinking about it is a lot easier on you emotionally than actually taking a minute to to think about that. So I think for most people, it's just a matter of um, ignorance is bliss. You know, kind of. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, which is it's. I think. I don't think that's fair. I think you need to be aware and you need to force yourself to know the conditions of these animals and these factory farms and what these animals life is, is like, I mean, I feel like that's my opinion. I feel like right. and, you owe that. And, uh, yeah. And I, I agree with that. I mean, I think you should educate yourself regardless. And then what you do with that information, I mean, that's on you after that, but you at least should have the, the right equipment or the right tools to make that conscious decision. Right. And I, again, I think it's easier for most people just to not think about it. And that's, that makes life easier for them. And they can, they can more easily eat things just because they like them or they taste good and, and not be concerned about the rest. Right. And most of the, sorry, boo, well, I'm interrupting you this time, which is awesome. Well, most, no, hold on. I'm talking most of the time <laughs> when you're buying something that's been humanely raised, you're also going to be buying a piece of meat that has more nutritional value and it hasn't been pumped with antibiotics and growth hormones and stuff because they took the time and effort to give it a good, you know, a good life. Right. And I mean, anything that's mass produced, I mean, it's quantity versus quality here. So anything that's mass produced, you're going to expect a lower level of quality than if it were not. So I think that applies to any, any concept, any food that you could categorize into one of those two things. I mean, so yeah, I mean the the more they make of it, the further it has to travel, the the less nutrition you're going to be getting from it. So, so yeah, that makes sense to me. What were you going to yeah, say? I mean, I'm just saying I, I 100% agree with with everything that's being said. Um, but uh, I, I think this is a great conversation for us living in a you know a a fairly middle-class society in a first world country very domestic yeah I, I mean it's like but it's like the reality of it is there has to be mass produced 
hormone filled chickens and cows. Well, and, sure. This and is like, a capitalist society. Well, I mean, that's how you feed millions of people exactly. is through mass production. I mean, I understand the practicality of it, you know. Uh it's so what would you rather ideal, have but it's um I would, necessary. I would rather starving, have a cult- no a bunch of no, starving people. No. I would rather have a culture shift where people learn it, it wouldn't matter. The culture wouldn't matter. You you yes, there's too many you people on earth. You didn't let me finish. Did you did you let me finish? What if what if everybody who had a quarter acre or half an acre, which is millions and millions of Americans, started keeping six or seven chickens? And you know how much food can come out of one garden. What if everybody took the initiative to supplement their food themselves? I think that the problem that the the problem we're facing could definitely be improved. Uh, yes, that would that would be a huge improvement. What I'm saying is the the basis of the problem, the the reason that crops have to be mass produced and sprayed with uh, chemicals and glyphosate, and the reason that we have to have these massive slaughtering houses, it the the basis of the problem is the population of the earth. Like we can't fix that; it, it just is. So, like. Yes, I would challenge everybody out there to do what they can in their own life, in their own environment, to make an impact mm-hmm. and and improve this problem. But I, I'm just I, I'm I'm playing the uh, I, I'm just playing the the critic right now. The basis of the problem is the population of the Earth because if we didn't have these processes, if we didn't have glyphosate and mass-produced crops and meat, we would have half. I don't even, I wouldn't say half, but a large percentage of the Earth's population would die from starvation. You're right. You're right. Because, yeah, there, because there is so little self-reliance and self-sufficiency and skills of gardening and, you know, that sort of thing that, that most people are unable to feed themselves. So, so I agree with both of you. And, you know, I agree with you, Brooke, in the sense that it's a culture issue, you know, because people don't, don't know how to, or don't care to know how to do these things. And if they did, Again, in, in this ideal world, yeah, absolutely, we would not need to, to do all this mass production. But but the reality is that we're past that point, I think. it's There's too many people on the earth. There's too many, um, you know, we're so, we're so reliant now on the industrialized system that there's, I don't know if that's ever possible at this point. I mean, it's nice. It's a nice idea. And I definitely think we should, as many of us as possible, if nothing else, I mean, to where if something does happen and it all goes down, you have an ability to keep yourself alive right? by growing your own food and raising your own chickens or whatever, you know? So I think self-sufficiency is the issue more than anything. And, mm-hmm. and you're never going to feed everybody. I mean, you no. can see even with all the mass production we do now, there's still still mass starvation. But how much more would there be? Did we not mass produce food? You know? Who knows? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's, it's one of those, you know, it's a double-edged sword. No, I agree. And, and I know we're starting to run out of time. Um, yeah. But like, this was awesome though. Well, like two more things. Go ahead, Are you okay, Jean? On time? I'm good. Okay. I wanted to ask real quick um, about, about food and then we'll go into, I want to touch on aromatherapy, but what's your opinion on soy? Cause I've been eating soy I've heard so many rumors about it causes estrogen in men. It can cause breast cancer. Like, what's the truth? I'm very, very glad you asked. So, yeah, there is kind of this old misconception about soy, that soy has estrogens in it and this kind of thing. 
So where this comes from is that soy does have what are called phytoestrogens. Okay, so this is the plant version of estrogen. We cannot use that. It's not chemically the same as the estrogen that mammals produce. Okay, so the benefit actually is that instead of, so we have receptors for estrogen. Okay, so our estrogen receptors have the ability to bind both our own estrogen and this phytoestrogen, but they compete with one another. So phytoestrogens actually have the ability to bind to the receptor and regulate the amount of estrogen that, that we absorb. So this is actually a good thing. Okay. Mm. So this can actually keep from, from producing excess estrogen in the body. Now, at the same time, if you're an individual who possibly doesn't make enough estrogen, this could, this could maybe be problematic, but phytoestrogens also behave similarly. They, they have the same mechanism of action. So even if you aren't necessarily making enough estrogen, the thought is that the phytoestrogen will kind of pick up the slack, which is why they, they have it as a therapy for menopause Oh, because it can act like estrogen, but without actually increasing the amount of estrogen the body makes. Okay. And no, so that's not going to make men turn into women and grow. No, that's and- not even possible just because again, you're not able to absorb the phytoestrogens and convert them into any meaningful usable form. So, so yeah, that whole thing about, you know, tofu will give men or, you know, make boys go into puberty early. I mean, there's, there's just no scientific basis for that whatsoever. Um, And, you know, there's actually a lot of evidence that soy can prevent certain types of cancer. Interestingly, breast cancer is one of those because you kind of hear the opposite in, in the online rumors kind of things on prostate cancer is another one for which soy is protective. Soy has isoflavones, which is an antioxidant, and they have they are powerful cancer fighters. Awesome. So avoiding soy because you think they're going to give you breasts. I mean, <laughs> and, but then at the same time, people are eating all this meat, which does have natural hormones, which does have mammalian hormones that our bodies can utilize. Right. So if you're worried about getting estrogen from your food, worry about your meat. Right. Don't worry about soy, for God's sake. <laughs> I know, you right? Know? Well, they, so, they spray so, the mess out of soy, though, don't they? Well, that, so is that yes. one you want to buy organic? So, and actually, Chad, it's, that's an interesting point, too, because a lot of these old studies that were implicating soy in this uh, have actually been looking at the pesticides because there are multiple pesticides that are endocrine disruptors. Okay, so endocrine disruptors can affect your hormonal status in the body. So the pesticides being sprayed on the soy, I don't know that you'll find a study that's exactly making this conclusion, but... This is what I've extrapolated based on reading all of these studies because organic soy does not seem to have these effects. Okay. So organic meaning it hasn't been sprayed with these endocrine disrupting pesticides. So the pesticides were the issue, not the soy themselves. Awesome. Gosh, that's, that's going to change my whole, I've been nervous about it because I uh, like Chad, I wasn't going to do my own research, but that's, I mean, awesome. Cause that's how I hit my protein every day. Right. Same. I mean, I I should have, you know, I should have every estrogen hormone related cancer on earth then because I eat at least one serving of soy a day, if not more. Right. You know, it is a solid protein source for me. So, you know, obviously that's an anecdote, but I'm just saying you would see very high rates of breast and ovarian cancer from all these vegan women and you just don't. Right. The, The people, the women that are ending up with breast cancer are the ones consuming large amounts of dairy products. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. That's where you're seeing this happening. So again, that fits right in with with what I was explaining about how the mammalian estrogen is more of the issue as compared to the the estrogen you're getting from the plants. 
Okay. Awesome. So, yeah. So the research just doesn't support it. It's just one of those old myths that just continue to be perpetuated. And a lot of people still this still guy believe it. This guy believed it. Well, let's real quick. I just want to, I just want to, again, like Chad said, we don't want to overload people, but I do just want to give a quick summary on, you know, how, or what is aromatherapy? How can people try it? And like what you've seen has been effective or read about that's been effective. Just, I think a lot of people don't know it exists. So, yeah, and, well, yeah. And, I, and I also think aromatherapy is kind of written off as one of these like hippy dippy sort of new agey kind of things. But, but if you really think about it, I mean, this is kind of how I reconcile it with myself is, you know, we already know plants are good for us, right? We know that it's healthy for us to eat plant foods, herbs, fruits. Okay. Well, essential oils come from those same plants. So why would we think that that is not equally, if not you know, somewhat beneficial to us as eating that same plant. Okay. So let's just say lemon essential oil. Okay. That's, that's derived from the peels of the oil. It's going to contain concentrated amounts of those same nutrients and antioxidants and chemical compounds. So, you know, so first of all, I think people need to consider that these are all from the same plants. It's just a different format, right. That we're using them. Um, So the issue with aromatherapy, I think, is because there isn't enough science to back it up for most people. I think, you know, someone like myself, who's more science background, um, may have issues with, you know, well, there's not enough evidence to prove it works kind of thing. You know, uh, there are some actually pretty decent studies, but they're, they're not always well designed. They're not well controlled. It's not in the interest of this government to fund such studies. So you don't see a lot of these studies done in America. A lot of them are done in, in India and China and these Western countries that have been using these things much longer than we have and in a much more um, medicinal capacity. Mm-hmm. So having said that, um, the basic premise of aromatherapy is that inhaling the scent or the essence of whatever the oil is, whether it's lavender or what have you, activates the limbic system. So the limbic system is what's connected to your sense of smell. And the limbic system has the ability to activate those neurotransmitters that control our emotions and our moods and that sort of thing. So that's kind of an oversimplified explanation, but that's basically how it works. So the premise is that aromatherapy can activate certain receptors in the limbic system that could trigger a relief of anxiety, for example, or a sense of relaxation or a sense of happiness, whatever it might be. Sleepiness. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the basic premise behind it. So is it, is it strong science? No, but I'm also of the belief that if you, if you inhale some lavender and then you sleep like a baby, then that's a healthy thing for you to do. You know, if it, if it promotes a healthy feeling for you, or if it relieves anxiety for you, then that's absolutely harmless. And that's absolutely something that you would want to continue to do. So I, I see no harm in it as long as you're ensuring, you know, you're using good quality essential oils. Obviously that's really important. You know, it's not enough to go buy a Glee plug-in that smells like lavender. That doesn't count. That's Mm-mm. God knows what that is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not lavender essential oil. I, I promise you. So yeah, don't so do you that. Can, right. Don't, don't, don't do that. Um, but yeah, so so aromatherapy really can be beneficial by no means as a replacement for say, if you need antidepressants, you should take your antidepressants, but maybe aromatherapy can make it to where you don't need as much of it, or you don't need it as often, or 
it can be used on a more, you know, safely on a more everyday basis for kind of these basic needs like sleep and relaxation and, and that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I just wish we had a little bit more research so that it would have a little bit more of a mainstream, um, validity, you know, it's hard to convince certain people in certain circles, science, you know, medicine of their benefits when you can't actually say, Hey, look, this is, this is what the evidence shows, you know, to, to say, Oh yeah, I just feel really good. And I, I sleep good when I take lavender. That's not enough, you know, for, for the, the mainstream community. So it's still sort of looked upon as a, as a useless thing, but, but the studies are there. You just have to look for them and, you know, they're not randomized controlled trials. They're just not as, as um, solid as some of the other, you know, as nutritional studies, for example. Awesome. But again, to me, I mean, why would we not utilize all parts of the plan? If plants are, are medicinal for us, if food is nourishing for us, then why would those, it's obvious that the compounds contained within that plant have health benefits for us. Mm -hmm. So whatever way you use them, I think is, is appropriate. Awesome. No, that was perfect, Jean. That was, that was a perfect summary of what that is. And I highly suggest that people go get them a diffuser and go buy them a few therapeutic grade essential oils. Yes. And start Look for that. That's very important yeah. that they're therapeutic grade because then you know that they're pure and they're unadulterated. Right. And they're not going to contain fragrance or any of these other, um, some of them, you know, some of the cheaper ones have alcohol in them. So, and I mean, personally, again, I, uh, aromatherapy has done wonders for me as a, as a person with anxiety issues and sleep issues. That's been the number one thing that has helped me. It's is, awesome. Is Dude, using I'm, aromatherapy I'm all for, sure. for aromatherapy, man. Yeah, look we, at what Jesus was using aromatherapy. Yeah. I know. I mean, I, this isn't new. Hello. I mean, look, there are so many biblical references to essential oils. I mean, if you, I have a whole reference book that cross references hundreds of different oils that are mentioned in the Bible. So, and it's funny to me because there are some very, um, some circles of religious types who think it's witchcraft or who think it's voodoo and this, but it, no, read your own book. It's uh, everywhere. Yeah, that's yeah. like when Jesus was in there and, and that woman came in with that, that big old jar of frankincense and she, she broke it over and started, you know, washing Jesus, putting it all over him and old Judas, he said, what in the world are you doing? We could have took that jar of frankincense and sold it. Y'all don't remember that no, story. No, I do remember. I just thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> Judas wanted to sell it so he could get the money because, you know, he was in charge of the money pot. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it was very expensive. It still is it very expensive. It still is expensive. Today. Every time we get frankincense, it always yeah. it always reminds me like, oh, I mean, and, Jesus smelled it, you know? We diffuse. Precious, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, and we diffuse frankincense a lot, and I think that helps my mood a ton. Um. I, I notice it. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. That's right. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. Right. I agree with that 100%. I mean, it was one of the gifts they gave him when he was born. I mean, what? how much more of an honor could you give yourself than that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. That's awesome, man. For sure. It is. Well, I want to tell you, man, this was another freaking solid podcast. It this was. This is another one for the books right here, man. It is. And I, I got a feeling these these two episodes. I think the one we just recorded the other day, Gene, this is well, it was it's gonna it's already close to one of our top episodes that it we've is. ever recorded. That's as awesome. Far as download numbers. And that's so exciting. I, I wanted to ask you, Gene, is there anything are you doing virtual consultation for like if someone right now in 
Denver, Colorado wanted a nutritionist. Is it possible for them, you to take them on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do do virtual consultation. In fact, I've been doing it a lot since the the onset of the pandemic. That's you know what more people have been comfortable with. So yeah, I mean we can absolutely have have those without ever having to meet in person. I'll cool. try. I'll try. So to all link, they have to do is reach out. I'll try to link your proper social media <laughs> handle. That's okay. <laughs> for, That's for okay. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he. I'll make sure he does. Yeah. All right, Gene. That was amazing. I mean, I can't thank you enough for your the the time that you've taken to to really just pour into us and our audience, and just so you're so generous and and giving uh and and moderate and common sense answers that mm-hmm. that are I think just easily grasped. Yep. By um by us unintelligent folk. Us common folk. So, uh, I mean, well, this is great. I, I really appreciate this, you guys. It's, it was such an honor to be on your podcast, and, uh, and I hope, you know, we can have more like this in the future. Um, cause I, I could just, I could just go down all kinds of rabbit holes. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you ever want to do one about just about gut health, we can do that. You know, you know, Brooke, I can talk about that for days. Oh, so, that would um, be awesome. Yeah. So, so this is wonderful. And I, I really appreciate you guys being open to the discussion and, and, you know, I like having my brain picked every once in a while. So it's yeah. good for me too. Yeah. Awesome. Follow, follow Jean at, at Maxwell nutrition um, yep. on Instagram and Facebook, and we'll put it in the show notes yeah, too. Tell her, thank you. Tell her, thank oh, you, Bisc. Thank you, Jean. Awesome. Thank you guys. <laughs> All right, guys, this is the three of seven podcast. Enough said. <laughs>